Hello and welcome to Rule of Carnage. Good lord. Uh, <laughs> this is a uh, YouTube channel uh, a lot of the time, a podcast um, almost all of the time, in which uh, myself, Glenn Ford, a games designer and developer, talks to Mike Hutchinson, also a games designer and developer, um, about designing better miniatures games, which we do try to do from time to time to the best. We of definitely time. design miniature games. Yeah, you know, and we try to make them better ones. We, we really try, I promise. Um, as we've mentioned in like the last few conversations, we, we've had a bit of time to, uh, to, to to play some other people's games recently. Mm. Um, and they have unfurled within our minds um, questions and thoughts that um, we rather like kicking around and talking about. And so we're going to kick around and talk about some of them. Um, so the thought um, that, that popped up with Mike that uh, you thought would be interesting to chat about is the difference between the sorts of rules that you're meant to learn or that you do learn that like embed themselves into your head and you can sort of dispense with the rule book and the sorts of rules that you are meant to sort of have the rule book open at the table and, and flick through and look up and that you're not meant maybe meant to memorize or, or that you don't memorize even if you're meant to you yeah know, and, do you mi- and do you mind if i sort of examine a few uh, examples this is partly self-loathing and partly some of the examples that we've looked at recently sure. but I, I i am as we've talked about before like i'm really interested in the sort of smoothness of the user experience of playing the game like how much does the <laughs> game melt away and how much does it have to be there in front of you and so having to have a rule book open in front of you because there's literally no way of you memorizing a piece of rules content is potentially a blocker to enjoyment. It, it means that I, I can't leave the rule book at home. It has to always be open in front of me. It's taking up space. And um, an example of, you know, like a great example that you gave of, of where that doesn't happen is um, Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Like once, even though it's a massive thick tome, like once you know all the rules, it's quite easy. You interact with them really regularly. You know, maybe you forget what spears do from time to time. I always had to have the miscast table in front of me on a single piece of paper, but that was pretty much all I had to have. And so that lovely smooth UX once you've got it. And similarly, uh, but differently, like there's a there's a lookup table in a Hobgoblin that has the the attacker's unit and the defending unit, and and it and it tells you the the number. Now, I've had a fair number of, I think, fairly legitimate criticisms of be like, well, that's a bit old school. Like, there's a big lookup table, and I have to have a table in front of me. Well, you do have to have a table. It's very small. It's like half half an A4, not even that. And as you get familiar, the that as you understand the rules behind it, it sort of melts away, and you can actually learn that table, even though it's kind of complicated on first blush. It's really there's a system under underpinning it, and it sort of doesn't get in the way. Whereas one of my games, Perilous Tales, which is a solo game, has complicated monsters with specific monster of the week special rules. And we were playing the Doomed recently, and that similarly has monsters of the weeks with super ex- exceptional special rules. And so you have to have the rules open in both cases. Um, in the case of a solo game, like I'm not certain that the the user experience of having a book in front of you is that troublesome because you're kind of playing by yourself. I think it would be nice to get rid of it, um, but you're never going to learn all of the Perilous Tales monsters. And so there's maybe a problem that is a design problem that I could maybe work harder to solve. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's a few things sort of going on there. It's like it, it's really interesting, like in relation to Warhammer Fantasy Battle, as you say, the miscast table is like the one thing that you you always want on a, a, a sort of quick reference sheet around you. And I think that's what's interesting about that is in many ways 
because the miscast table doesn't have a logic to it it doesn't have a sort of a rule you can learn which opens it up for you yeah there's no it's, first principle underpinning it yeah it's it's not like on a on a, on a it's double just like an old-fashioned D realm of chaos like yeah yeah there's a there's a vague idea like a double one is really bad and like you know the middle one is probably okay but it's not like the double one kills you and everyone around you the three kills you the four hurts you and so on up it's like the fifth one turns you into a frog and the third one makes you a concrete dinosaur and it's like, I don't know. Um, whereas like the various other tables, the, the ballistic skill table, the weapon skill table, the strength toughness tables, they have rules you can just embed. And once you've got those rules in your head, you can do a little calculation and you really never need to sort of look at the table. You know, you're on a four plus to hit if your strength and toughness are equal and then a five plus if the toughness is more and a three plus if the toughness is less. Yeah, it's a rule you can just embed and learn. And the further a, a table or something like that goes from a sort of relatively simplistic rule, the harder it gets to embed. I think, and uh, and yeah, in relation to things like the doomed and perilous tales, I think the thing with solo games or co-op games or whatever else is that the game is meant to be a player almost that you're kind of engaging with. Mm. So I think it feels less punishing to go back to certain bits of the rule book that are being the player. It's like in a full competitive game, in a full versus game, the rules are the thing that I kind of want to get out of the way so that I can enjoy interacting with, with you. With a solo game, the rules are the thing that I am interacting with. I, I, it would be, it's lovely if they can get out of the way and I can like directly interface with the sort of the narrative and the experience and the story that's going on and when you get a really good solo game where it fits into your head and you're just like oh you know here comes the monster i know it's like oh here it comes i know how to run it and generate it oh no it's so you know rather than having to go back to the book and go like mm, well, what happens now but it's less punishing because it's kind of more like asking the friend friend that you're playing with what the rules for their army is in a way because it's like you're, you're engaging with the game you're engaging with the thing that you know that is part of the process for you more so in a solo game than i think than in a versus game yeah and i think like from a from a pure like user experience user interface point of view like a a solo board game or like a cooperative or solo board game with ai like eon trespass or or monster kingdom monster death to kingdom um like all of that stuff is also written in a rule book it's just been condensed and selected into cards so that you've only got the little pieces of information that you need in front of you but ultimate and so that's a nicer user interface but it's ultimately the same sort of problem that i have to have the rules open in front of me because there's no way of me really knowing them or ingesting them um yeah i, I don't know it's it's funny because the other the other area that this can emerge is in so i've been playing a lot of warhammer 40,000 recently and the one of the things there is that they've got a real design tension between a desire for having complexity a desire for not having too many rules exceptions and a desire for um yeah like th those two things lead to a desire for as many possible like global special rules as possible or, or melting as many abilities down into a small set of global special abilities and i think like they've been really successful and really unsuccessful in kind of at the same time in that 
almost all of the units and almost all of the weapons now draw on the same sort of 20 special rules, which is great because now when I know, when I finally figure out what lethal hits does, I know what lethal hits does on any weapon in the game and lots of weapons and special abilities grant it and buff it and do that. And that means that everything's kind of got the similar sort of mechanical effect, which I don't mind because that's the kind of thing I'm after. But for some people that sort of can feel a little bit vanilla and banal. And that's certainly one of the criticisms that's been levelled at um, the 10th edition of Warhammer 40,000. But the other thing is that on top of that, they've layered a, a huge blamange of special uh, abilities for every faction and, and, and army type and stuff. And so there is an enormous just a colossal set of rules exceptions you know multiple thousand rules exceptions that you somehow have to navigate and so at the same time as they're trying to say i want to create complexity with the minimum number of rules ex exceptions so that you can learn the core of the game they've also then exploded the rules exceptions to the point where there's no player in the world that understands the full scope of that game yeah and i think it, i think it's interesting to degree like where the, the background or the theme of the idea of the game helps these things bed in because it's like that's exactly what Warhammer Fantasy Battle had going on like before it was it was killed was that every everybody's spear did the same thing everybody's shield did the same thing everybody's heavy armor did the same thing but mm. every single army had a bunch of special rules um which it's super easy to accept the idea that every spear does basically the same thing because every spear does do basically the same thing throughout like you know the history of, of the world whereas saying a plasma gun and a laser gun do roughly the same thing feels a bit like surely they don't surely that like technology doesn't work that way it doesn't work the way that a spear and a shield and a helmet do it, it you know it, tiny variations in technology sort of work in vastly different ways and so like it's easy to bed into your head you know the sort of the the weapons in a historical or a or a fantasy game you know do the same sort I've of I've got quite a small variation and so you can capture them with a single rule yeah whereas it feels a lot harder to wrap your head around the concept that it remains true within a sci-fi game you know or or even right, which is maybe why age of sigmar went the way it did which is like you know a massive hulking like stormcast eternal with a you know with a spear the size of a man's leg and he's on fire with lightning like he has a different rend value than you know a, just a rubbish old skeleton with a broken rotten sort of old spear yeah and it's super interesting that you know that what what warhammer fantasy battle that they got rid of had is what they're now trying to give to warhammer 40k right. yeah, you yeah. Know, where, where it's these, been like, these things are a sine wave well absolutely and it's like well part of the reason it worked for warhammer fantasy battle is that you were doing that for like 20 years so like mm. by eighth edition nobody needed to ask what the spear did because you've been telling us what it did for 10 years meanwhile you've been not telling us that everything in like 40k does the same thing for 25 years and now suddenly you're saying it does and everyone's a bit like well, that's not what happens in 40k. That's what happens in that other game. You remember the one that you took behind the chemical ships and shot through the head. <laughs> it happens in that one. Keep it over there, you buffoon. Yeah. Um, so I mean it's it's also, I think this one, this one does come back to the scope of the product uh, as well, because like Hobgoblin, I've tried really hard to, you know, it's got this table, which I think you can learn. And I've even put a special whole section in the back of the book that explains how the table is created. So if you 
if you learn that part of it, like you can you can re-engineer the table from first principles in your mind at the table. But the other thing is that there is a small number of special rules. Is it a small number? I don't know. It's like 35 at this point that you have to learn. And so we were playing Rick Priestley's recent-ish game, Warlords of Era 1, and that's got a similar sort of setup, which is like, you know, there's a fairly basic standard resolution system there are a set of default weapons that everybody carries and then there's a sort of smudge of special rules and you know i think you you initially reacted to those special rules being like oh there's pages and pages of them i don't know if you compare the special rules count to the the special rules count of hobgoblin and it's roughly even or or not but um i, I think, think what what i would say i think about warlord's special rules is is that not to be unkind, they're a bit more all over the place in some parts. Um, I think that the thing about the Hobgoblin special rules is a lot of them are what you're expecting um, the special rules in a game of that type to be. A thing that increases how easy it is for you to hit in close combat, one that increases how fast you move, etc, etc. Yeah. Some of the special rules in Warlords are bananas, and some of them are okay, I'm recreating, look, I'm recreating what Wyman Fancy Battle did. Here are squig hoppers, here are fanatics. Which, like, he's legitimately allowed to do. No one else oh, yeah. is allowed to do that. Rick, he, it's fine, we're cool he, with that. <laughs> he came up with it, but it does mean that when you're reading through that special rules section, rather than be able to go, tick, yes, I know, yes, tick, yes, I understand that, you've got to go, whoa, wait a second, I've got to genuinely, this is like five paragraphs of bizarre exceptions you know, and generally, Warlords is a very exception-heavy game, and I think in re in relation to things you can you can learn and smoothness of the user experience, there's a reason we go hunting for exceptions to rules. I think mm. when we're writing rule sets, and the exceptions are death to a smooth, like easy to learn player experience. Every time a rule goes, this is true, this is true, this is true. Apart from for the squad box unit and the bingle bong unit and then go on again it's oh no okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i think th there there is an interesting i don't know like i don't know if there's a complexity budget thing here where it's like actually you know you need to remove as many rules exceptions as possible but then you want because you want to to reserve some space you want to reserve some ram in the player for the rules exceptions which are fun and flavorful and make their army what it is and like when it comes to the monster of the week thing, like I think, you know, to a degree, that's like I'm I'm making the rest of the game as simple as possible because I want to reserve the focus of the of the processing power of the player on the things that are cool about, you know, why a teleporting gargoyle is different to Dracula. Um, and like to a degree, you know, I've been rereading um Here We Go and Freebooters, which a friend of ours lent me. Uh, so that's first edition uh, Warhammer 40,000. And this, the um, the pe the rules for the shock attack gun, the teleporting squigs thing, there's like five or six pages of incredibly intricate special rules. And to a degree, like if that was the only thing that I had in my army that wasn't just like a boy with a shooter, maybe I don't mind five pages of special rules making like the shock attack gun the most fun, cool thing I've ever played. But like the fact that it comes with the mechs and the mechs have all these cards that you have to mess around with. And then there's other strange, crazy rules. Like that's blown my budget out. But like when I'm playing wood elves, like, do I want some weird special rules around woods? Probably like that's kind of where I'd like to spend my budget. I don't want to spend it on a bunch of like rules exceptions in the core system that uh, that are costing me every time i play the game regardless of which faction i choose or weapons i'm 
models I'm units I'm using. Absolutely. And, and I think, again, as with so many of these things, it's about understanding the, the aims of your game, what you're trying to do and how you're trying to achieve it. Because it's like, you know, for a range of examples, it's like if we say like Malifaux, you know, it, it's an incredibly sort of dense game with, you know, every model has a bunch of special rules, even though a lot of them are sort of shared across models. Um, but then that's a game that lives in the fact that it's really dense to get into your head and it's a real thing to, it's exhausting to engage with in mm. a way that is satisfying because it is a good game and if you're looking for the experience of being like fully wrung out by a play session it's a really great game for doing that i've been reading um hail caesar um recently and that has so many exceptions for rules this is true apart from for cavalry and chariots and and light infantry and this is true apart from for heavy infantry or people in this formation etc etc and that's perfect for that game because the sort of person who's engaging that wants to go like well of course it's not true for cavalry because of you know this yeah exactly because because like in the mind in the mind in the mind of the player like they also like in that rule system like a fair amount of time has been spent explaining why those mm. rules exceptions are actually like fairly you know these are attempts to, to capture something from reality and so you can be like ah okay right yeah okay i'm getting the feel of it yeah exactly and it's like malifaux can have like you know lots of crunchy rules come together because what it's trying to do is make a very hard to engage with machine puzzle thing in your head that's like brain burning and exciting to engage with hail caesar is fine doing it because it's trying to simulate warfare and you know and you want it to accurately simulate it whatever that means for the game that you're playing and it's like i've just got to the end of hail caesar where at the end of it he goes it never occurred to me that people would want to have army lists and points values for units if you must play in that fashion here are a handful of points for things but i'd really rather you didn't because it's like no, because full on, you are trying to simulate an actual historical conflict and you want to be satisfied that the simulation is accurate. Right. The army lifts are in the Offspray historical books. Go yeah. buy the Offspray historical books. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a lot of the time what we're talking about is like games that, and I don't mean this in a pejorative fashion, games that are good sort of games to engage with at the tabletop in sort of a game gamified and gamic way, which isn't what every game and design wants to be and wants to do. Some of them want to do other things. It's like when you're talking about some of those older GW things, like, you know, Here We Go Freebooter, is that what they kind of want to do is have a 12-year-old excitedly flicking through the books going, I finally get to use the five pages of shock attack rules. This is going to be so cool. And yeah. to read ahead and go like, you know, I always say that the, the seesaw of chaos from... Um, old blood bowl where you sort of read forward to that as a child going this is gonna be mad when i get like a goblin going up and down this seesaw and then firing off into the end zone that's what i want to do i don't really care if i have to have this book open at the tabletop i kind of want to open the tabletop because i keep wanting to keep going there's the seesaw of chaos rules i reckon i'll roll a six and win the entire game with my seesaw of chaos and it's like it's different things. It's different ways of engaging with the game, and I don't. Oh, and I th and I think also I think one of the things that uh, we reacted to recently was um, having a table that I had to check on every 
every time I took an action and that table was like the miscast table in that it wasn't logically constructed. So this is the, the shock table in uh, in the doomed. It, it didn't it didn't suit my taste because it, it seemed like a table I wasn't going to be able to sort of in, intuit and memorize um, fairly, fairly quickly. But, you know, I also like coming away from that game, I was like, mm, well, there's my hobgoblin table a bit like this. And I, I you know, I, it's it, it's worth thinking about these kinds of things in your game designs where it's like, Am I putting am I putting a moment of look up uh, at an exciting moment uh, where players will be delighted to look it up? You know, the, the critical hit table when a Titan blows up in Adeptus Titanicus, it happens at most like two, maybe three times a game. It's exciting. I can't remember the, the results for it. So it's kind of a surprise every time we roll a 2d6 on it. That's OK. It's like a miscast table. Um, but something like Hobgoblin or the Doomed, where you have to look up for every attack that you make, like, is it is it providing the right uh, smooth experience or not? I mean, I would, I would say I think there's a few differences there, and I think you hit on a few of them. I think one of the things about the difference between the Hobgoblin table is that it's the table you look up before you charge the person to figure out if it's a good idea to charge them. It's the thing that you check in it's all... input information. Yeah, it's input information. You know, you shouldn't be shocked by what the number is once you come to the combat round. Whereas, you know, the shock table in the Doomed is output information. It's like, you know, okay, well, we come to the end of doing the thing. Now let's find out what the actual result of what I was doing was. And it's randomly pooped out this thing. And that feels a, a different sort of engagement. Um, and I think, like... Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things is about, again, what you say you're trying to do with your game. The Doomed says it's it's trying to be a super light rules thing, so you don't have to go back to the rule book repeatedly and the rules get out of the way. And then it gives you this thing where you have to like go back to this table over and over again in a turn. And then there's another table you have to go back to again and again for the, for the horrors reactions. And it's a bit like... You know, Hobgoblin doesn't claim to be this sort of super, super rules-like thing. And in it no, it only claims to be lightning fast. And oh. once and once you know that your number is three plus, like it doesn't matter how many dice you roll, your number is three plus, and you can resolve that in a second. And a, and a huge thing I think is that Hobgoblin understands, and it's got a, and so it says, okay, here's a quick reference section. Here, this is where all the things you're going to need are, and a neat little page that you can keep open. The doomed not you know doesn't have a quick reference section the doom doesn't have like warband character sheet it it, do, it does have a quick reference section but it doesn't have the things that you're going to need in in your game because it doesn't have the monster of the week reaction table because it can't and it doesn't have um the the minion spawning thing or whatever it is yeah yeah the nexus is and it's like one of the things about that game is that user interface is is really tricksy. It's like say I was genuinely shocked when I got to the end of it and there wasn't a sheet to copy out to be my warband sheet because it's like it's a campaign driven thing. Um, and yeah, it's like... yeah we've we've talked we've talked about that I think in a previous conversation. I, I forget which one, but like there's a there's a there's a behavior with role playing game designers which I've adopted, which is almost like the almost the second act after choosing the right font for your role playing game is like sketching out a character sheet for your role playing game. And I happen it's it's weird. Like I don't know where it's come from. It's probably come from Necromunda and Blood Bowl, but I happen to always start by like sketching out the the dashboard card for the car or the little, you know, the mech card for the game that I was playtesting yesterday. Like I want a little 
fill inable character sheet for everyone. It's probably the hero quest is where it comes from. Yeah. But like it's it seems to me strange that more skirmish games don't provide character like fillable character sheets for every model but at the very least like a roster sheet for your gang particularly in something that's sort of um more time inspired feels yeah, like a natural piece of ui yeah it's super odd in the doomed because it's like it's a campaign driven game designed by somebody who's like primarily an rpg designer and it doesn't have character sheets but that that's that's another thing for another another time but i think the point is knowing who you, what your game is and who it is and going like okay there's a couple of tables you're going to need to look up repeatedly. Here it is, like, printed on, like, the back of the rule book, and I'll mm. give you it in a sheet. It's like, well, oh, it's fine. If it's one bit of paper, that's okay. If you f- if it feels like you're unaware of how often I'm going to have to open your rule book, and you, you haven't engaged with the way that I'm going to engage with your game, then that's a much more sort of questionable decision, you know. And it's like anything, make active decisions. It's like, it's not a problem having a game that's really like lumpy and requires people to go back to the rulebook repeatedly. If that's the thing you're trying to create, if it's meant to be a simulation, I think that's fine. You know, I think this is all, this is also a situation where observing playtesters is incredibly valuable. So um, like watching people sigh when they have to, um, like during the Billion Suns, like, watching players sigh when they had to assemble their shooting dice was like a, a bright spark in that playtesting where it's like oh okay interacting with the way that you collect a, a a shooting pool is really annoying and frustrating and so let's change that because it's broken and it's not a, an enjoyable smooth piece of user experience absolutely and i think that's one of the things you get with some of the older school gw games like um uh man of war and things is sometimes it's like you know is there a table to look up of course there's a table to look up <laughs> get to the get to the captain's critical hit being shot in the face. but even in even in man of war like man of war is dripping with incredibly well thought out ui with the ship cards which i adore um and then you only really have two tables which is the captain's chart and the critical hit thing and so you can have them right there on a tiny little piece of cardboard which they even gave you in the box yeah no i mean yeah love man of war but the point the the thing is that when you go back to the man of war tables everyone's like (laughs) you know it's time to go back to the tables whereas i think the but also and also they are they are scattered very gently through the game experience it's not like every time i pull the pin on a on a cannon i have to roll on the cannon table yeah whereas i think the difference is like with the shock table in the doomed it was more of a feeling of do we have to check the shock table we have of course you have to check the shock table we've done something we're gonna have to check the shock table right yeah so you it's like you have to eat more icing i I, i'm not i'm a bit full of icing yeah i like icing but not like a a, like a four pound bowl of icing it's that's right yeah yeah it's, it's time to sort of go let, can we can we just simplify this thing? This is not the the fireworks factory it was meant to be. Okay, um, right. I think that that was a fine and jolly conversation about you know the 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 complexity budget and smoothing out a game and things that people are meant to learn and they're not. I think it's the sort of thing that we've come back to a few times and we'll we'll come back to in the in the future because getting a rule book and getting the rules and getting the way they're presented and engaged with the players is super important and really difficult. Um, you know, look, if there's a game that you've played where you felt you weren't meant to ever learn it and that wasn't a problem or it was a problem or there was a game that just instantly clicked into your brain and you could throw the rule book away before like basically the first session please stop down to the comments section tell us which game it was and which of those experiences you had and how you felt about it and and whether you wanted more of that or less since you're in the comments section you may as well hit the like and subscribe there just there 
just right there and then you know swing by the discord um we have love having conversations about presenting rules and engaging with rules and rulesy rulesy goodly loveliness um but for now and from this conversation uh and from this episode of rule of carnage i think it's gonna be a thank you and goodbye so a thank you and goodbye Bye -bye. rulesy rules rules